continuing in, and we're almost to the end of, we've got this in one more week in our Y Church series. Um, and we'll give you a plug for what we'll talk about after our Y Church series. We'll get into our series on um, respectable sins. Um, here's a clue. We act like there's a lot of them, and the reality is there are none. Okay, so um, hopefully I didn't just ruin five good weeks for you, but it'll be, it'll be good. We'll have a good time. Um, well, maybe, well, whatever. Here's the deal. I am not usually the smartest guy in any room. Was not even true when I used to teach in kindergarten classrooms. It's not. I mean, I'm just not the smartest guy in most rooms. Um, I, I can be articulate. I can make a good argument. I can make a case for some things. But by and large, um, there are people that, that think things through a little bit differently, more effectively than I do. And, and because I'm not the smartest guy in most rooms, I'm sure that there are times when my responses are less than gracious or less than kind or less than effective. What I think I'm doing is arguing, especially when it comes to matters of faith. See, I think I'm arguing profoundly. I think I'm making this great epic case to defend my faith, and really what I'm doing is, is I'm just being hard to get along with. Um, and one of those questions, why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> just so you know, Carrie's facial expression was shocked, and she is in utter and total disagreement <laughs> with what I know. That's not what she was looking like. Anyway, here's the objection for today. Maybe you've heard this one. You probably heard it in the hearts of, of some of our folks that were talking about their past experiences or uh, read it in some of those memes that were thrown up on the screen, but uh, the church is all about judgment and control. The church just wants to tell you how to live. They just want from you, and so why should I let them have that control? And that can be control when it comes to money or when it comes to any number of things, but, but that's the feeling that's out there to a degree. And I tell you what, when, when we started prepping this sermon, um, in my mind, this was um, the Sue Bailey Memorial Sermon. It's my mother-in-law, and uh, she had a rough church upbringing as a kid. And for the longest time, her argument with Carrie and I, when we would talk matters of church, matters of faith, about how we were going to include the kids in those things, her argument was always that the church just wants to control you. The church judges you. The church makes you feel bad until you do what they want. They just want to control you. And we would make these impassioned arguments, and I, I suppose we won the argument, but we never convinced her. Okay? And you know the reason we never convinced her? And, and listen... Please don't get offended. Please don't get up. Please don't leave until we're done. You cannot stay here all day, though. But for right now, listen to this. To a degree, she's right. See, because I would say to her, Sue, the church does not want to control you. And then I would go to church and I would listen. And the person standing up here would be Pastor Jerry, love Pastor Jerry, but Pastor Jerry would be standing up on, on the stage at Bethany and he would be preaching and he would be telling us how to live. He'd be telling us what to do with our money. He'd be telling us um, what we should be doing with our bodies, who we should and shouldn't be in relationships with. 
And so I'd say to Sue, Sue, you're wrong. The church isn't about telling you how to behave. And then I would go to church and I would hear Pastor Jerry, who I love, admire, and respect, tell us how to behave. And we think about that. And to a degree, it's right. And so if you've ever come to church and you felt like, you know what, when I go to church, they just want to tell me what to do. Listen to me. I get it. Because you're not altogether wrong. But there's a reason for it. And hopefully it's done well. And we're going to talk about that today as we talk about what the reasoning is for it and where it's appropriate and where it's not and who it's for and who it's not for. And so I want you to bear with me today as we start to deal with some of this stuff. But I'm going to go ahead and say this. One of the reasons that it's true is because while we are a church that teaches Jesus alone for salvation. You've heard me say it. I don't care how many times you've been here. If you've been here for 30 seconds, you've heard me say it. Jesus saves. Jesus is the only way to be right with God. It is all about Jesus. It is not about anything that you've ever done um, for Jesus. It is not about any behavioral checklist that you can ever, you know, hit the right amount of tallies. It is all about grace. We are a grace alone church. We're not a grace and church. See, there's a lot of churches that will preach Jesus that will be grace and churches. Grace is for you, and you add to grace to be okay with God, you're giving. Grace is good for you, and we're going to add to grace to be okay with God. We're going to say you have to be in service, and you have to be um, about these things, and you have to read your Bible so many times a week, and you have to pray every day, and you have to do these things. That's grace and. We are not a grace and church. We are a grace alone church. But it's not my job to stand up here. God has not given me the task to stand up here and spoon feed you milk every Sunday. In fact, look what Paul says in Hebrews. I'm sorry, this isn't Paul. We don't know who the author of Hebrews is. Uh, but look at the author of Hebrews 5.12 says this, you've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You're like babies who need milk and can't eat solid food. Heaven forbid they say that about people in this congregation. We teach Jesus alone. Grace alone is what saves you. But oh my goodness, if you have been saved, then we're not going to keep spoon-feeding you milk. We're going to give you solid food to eat. And in spiritual terms, when we start talking about solid food to eat, we're talking about growing you up in the faith, growing you up as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. Here's a little test you can give yourself today. If you are a disciple of Jesus, if you are a follower of, not a fan you don't follow him. On, I'm not talking about following him on Facebook. I mean, you are all in on Jesus. Then you will want to eat better. You'll want more than just spiritual milk. In this analogy, later in scripture, we read that this milk, this is a lot like this, this, this salvation message. See, sometimes we go to church and we hear salvation, salvation, salvation over and over and over every Sunday, and that's great, but when that's all there is, 
then how do I ever grow up? I told you, you remember, I went to First Baptist Church in Kelowna when I was a kid, which really should have been only Baptist Church in Kelowna, because there were just like three churches there. But, but I went to First Baptist Church in Kelowna as a kid, and every Sunday, turn or burn, that guy, hellfire brimstone from the pulpit, he probably had a dent in it from smacking it with his Bible so hard so many times. Like, every Sunday, I got saved a lot in that church. <laughs> but I never grew. I never grew because, because every Sunday was milk. Because every Sunday it was, well, yeah, I know you all got this last time, but there may be somebody new here today who hasn't figured this out yet. So every Sunday it was milk. Listen, it's, it's our job as a church to help you work out your salvation. Working out your salvation means you grow. If you here are a follower of Jesus, if you are a disciple of Jesus, then your heart should desire growth. If your heart doesn't desire growth, if your heart doesn't desire to engage with Jesus, if your heart doesn't desire to be more and more like him who came to save your soul, then you need to have a conversation with Jesus about why that is. See, we are a grace alone church. But once grace has you, it will necessarily push you to grow. So part of the, the answer to Sue's question is, Sue, you know what? You're right. You're right. The church does want to tell people how to live. Because we know what God requires of you. And we know what God wants for you. And we don't want to tell you how to live because we want to have control over your life. We want to tell you how to live. We want to tell you what God says about how you should live because it's what's best for you. Because it's where real freedom comes from. Remember, we've talked about the fence before. As parents, we don't put up a fence so that we can restrain and rob freedom from our children. We put up the fence so that they can play by the busy street in the freedom of the yard. They can play freely. We know that. It's what God's word tells us. And so, yes, the church is in the business of instructing, okay? Here's what, here's what she said. The church is interested in judging and controlling you. Here's what the church says. Here's what I say. No, the church is interested in helping you grow to be more like Jesus. And get this. This is something I need you to understand right here. I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. Drill down on this. This is one of the most important things you'll hear this morning. Growth often requires confrontation. Growth often requires confrontation. Growth takes somebody loving you enough to say, stop it. As parents, we get that, don't we? If you're here and you've got kids, you understand this concept that growth requires confrontation. Growth for your children requires that you look them in the face and you say, I love you so much, you better knock that off. Not because it annoys me, but because it will ruin you. I love you so much that I need you to stop this now because you don't understand where you're headed, but I do, and it is bad. And it will take your joy, and it will take your freedom. <sighs> Growth requires confrontation. If it was easy, 
everybody would do it. Okay? But that's one of the things that this church is committed to, okay? That's why it's one of our core values, discipleship. It's just simply this, saved people grow. It's one of our core values. And so when you say, Matt, why is the church always telling me what to do? Well, the church isn't telling you what to do. The church is telling you what Jesus says. And if you choose to follow what Jesus says, then you'll grow. And if you don't, then you'll continue to feel uncomfortable. See, never judged. I I pray that there are people here that are confronted with the word of God. But I never want people to leave feeling judged. What I, what I want you to leave feeling, some weeks, honestly, is convicted. Because you know that what you're living doesn't match up to what you're called to live. And then you've got to wrestle with God to figure out why that is. But that's on you. Okay? And so let's look at this today. We're just going gonna to look at this very brief passage of Scripture in Proverbs 27, 17. Here's what it says. This one little verse, Proverbs, of course, is a book of wisdom, and in the book of wisdom, uh, guess what we get? We get wise things, right? So in the book of wisdom, we read this in Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. It's this short, little, awesome statement about growth, okay? And because I, I, I need us to understand this. This is really, really important, and I need us to get what this is. I've asked Mike to help us out. Where's Mike? Mike, you want to come on up and help us out? Mike's got some stuff, and those of you that know me, you know pretty well by now that I'm not a very handy guy. I own tools. My first toolkit, I'm, I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit this. Oh, I'll get out of your way. I'm sorry. <laughs> My first toolkit, no joke, was a do-it-herself toolkit. <laughs> That's what it said, right? On the, it, was, it was like a baby blue, right? And it said, do-it-herself on the outside, and you opened it up, and it had this little cute tape measure. And this really teeny tiny level, I have no idea what it was for. Like, I guess if you wanted to hang a teeny tiny picture. Um, this, this little, like, seven-ounce hammer, okay? I'm just not that guy. My dad, since then, um, has bought me several sets of tools, I think, hoping it would take. <laughs> it didn't take. But, but So I asked Mike about this, this um, idea of iron sharpening iron. And what's that like? And my only, my only understanding of that I, I could think of was, was someone um, sharpening a knife, maybe a little bit, but I think that was inadequate. So I asked Mike to demonstrate a little bit what it would be like to sharpen a tool. Mike, go ahead. So I don't know how, thank you, Mike. Look, we, we joked as the elders met for prayer earlier, we joked that we would tell you that we were bringing back Circumcision Sunday. 
And at the time, I thought, oh, that was too far. That's a terrible joke. <laughs> but no, you nailed it, man. That was good. Well, Blake was talking about volunteering. Volunteering. <laughs> but, but so here's the thing. I don't know if you saw what was happening up here. But the reason that this is so critical, I really am going to have to put this down. Like, I'm carrying an axe up here. Like, I know what I'm doing. But can you see? Do you see that? Yeah, because it's sharp now. Do you see this compared to this? See, what happened is we went from being dull and not effective, a tool that couldn't do what it was supposed to be doing, something that wasn't effective. Now, because of friction and heat, you saw the sparks. The sparks happened because there was friction and there was heat and there was tension and there was confrontation that happened between the iron and the iron that all of a sudden now we have something that's sharp and useful. You say to me, Matt, why is the church always telling me what to do? Why can't we have um, a fluffy, feel-good Sunday? Like, those are legitimate questions that I get asked. Why can't we have a, flu a, a fluffy, milk-toasty, just easy kind of a Sunday? Because that won't make you useful for anything. It won't get you ready for anything. See, but there's something you have to understand here. The sharpening process doesn't happen without friction, without confrontation. Like, why is the church always telling me what to do? It's not because we want to control you. It's because the church wants to grow you up to be like Jesus. And you know how that happens? It happens when we point out the dissonance between what you say you believe and how you act. That happens when we point out the dissonance between somebody who says, I believe in Jesus, and then they live like God's not real. Between somebody who shows up on Sunday morning and goes through the motions, we give our check, we sing our song, we read our Bible, we say our prayers, and then I go home and I do whatever I feel like for the next six and a half days. church isn't trying to control you. The church is trying to grow you up to be like Jesus, and that happens when we sharpen you. That doesn't happen without some friction. Guys, it hurts. And you know why it hurts? Because the worthless part of this, the worthless part of me, when I'm sharpened by other Christians, the worthless part of me is literally being shaved away. It's being ground away. The reason Mike put the blanket down is because we didn't want iron fillings, iron shavings all over the ground up here. Because that's what happens when we're sharpened. When iron sharpens iron, part of you just gets cut away. I'm not the same guy. When I'm sharpened by other Christian men and women in my life, the parts of me that get shaved, I am different than I was before. Let's say it this way. I'm less than I was before. But in a good way. I'm less than I was because as people come around me and sharpen me, as the church takes that role seriously, the parts of me that get shaved away are the parts of me that sin, are the parts of me that are stuck in lust, the parts of me that are stuck in gluttony, the parts of me that are stuck in my quick temper, in my unchecked anger. Those are the parts of me that are, that are sharpened away. You know what? If you're married... You have a very real understanding of how this works. 
right? Because as you've been married, you're not the same person today that you were when you got married. Jim, uh, big Jim McClenning was telling me that he's been married for 36 years yesterday. It was his anniversary yesterday, 36 years. I'm going to bet you that Jim is not the same guy that he was 36 years ago. That through the process of he and Deb sharpening each other, that he's a different guy, a better guy now. Not that he was a bad guy then, but he's better now because he's sharper. This is the way that it works. That's what the church is good for. Part of us gets shaved away. This is why we focus on things that scripture says that we need to grow in. This is why this is why when I went to Bethany and I sat in the pew and Jerry sat, stood up here and Jerry was talking about, Matt, here's what you do with your time. Here's what you do with your money. Here's what you do with your body. Here are the people that you should not be in relationship with. Here are the things that you should be extra careful about. Jerry wasn't trying to control me. Jerry was trying to sharpen me. He was trying to make me useful. And I'm glad he did. And it hurt and it stung. There was heat and friction and confrontation. But it was worthwhile. Let's get back to the text. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. And here, here's the other thing that you need to know about this is this is a two-way street. There's a reason this is really important to understand. There's a reason why I always miss the heart of Sue's objection to church. This is a two-way street for Christians. Where Christians sharpen one another. You know, it's one thing I hear about the church so often. We ended it with that last thing up there, that the church is full of hypocrites. People always want me to believe that the church is full of hypocrites. I'll be honest with you. I used to believe that was true until I started really working in the church as an elder, now as a pastor. And I'm going to tell you this, the church is not full of hypocrites. People that tell you the church is full of hypocrites, they either don't understand who's at church or they don't understand what the word hypocrite means. The church may include some Hypocrites. The word hypocrite means actor. And the church may include some people that are acting. I can tell you that that keeps me up at night. There are times when that ruins me, when I'm here preparing a sermon, or I'm here talking to God. There are times when that just ruins me, the idea that there are people in our congregation that I see every week, that I know, I care about, I talk to, I love, the idea that some of them are just pretending and that they're not desiring a relationship with Jesus. They never have. It ruins me. But I can promise you that the church isn't full of them. There may be a couple of them here. And that, it, listen, if that's you, if you're worried that's you, <laughs> listen to me. You can't fake this. You could fake your way through a lot of things in life, but you can't fake this. There will be a day where you will stand before Jesus and you will have to answer for what you did with him and how you submitted and how you followed. You can't fake that. You can fake me out, but 
you can't fake Jesus. Okay? But at, at most, that's a small number of people in any church, I hope. The church isn't full of hypocrites. Okay? What the church is full of is disciples of Jesus Christ who screw up all the time because we're messy, broken people. Right? Miranda said it, you saw it in the thing, that, that we mess up all the time. We fail all the time. And the church is full of those people. They're not hypocrites. They're not acting. They're struggling. When I mess up, I'm not pretending to be something I'm not. I am who I am. I am a Christian. I am a Christ follower. I am a disciple of Jesus. And I am broken and I mess up. And I repent. And I trust brothers and sisters in Christ to help sharpen me and move me along in this process. This is how this works, right? This is what's going on. Um, and, and in case you were here and you were thinking that you were done with the need to be sharpened, shame on you. If you thought you were as sharp as you needed to be or you were sharp as you were ever going to get, shame on you. Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul, author of all those epistles in the New Testament, missionary extraordinaire, Here's what Paul says. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. And then he says it again. In case you were confused about what he meant when he said, I haven't achieved this perfection, I'm not as sharp as I need to be. I'm not there yet. Just in case you're confused, he says it again. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it. But I want it. That's what he's saying. I haven't achieved it, but I want it. So I press on. I focus on this one thing. This one thing is being sharp enough. Getting there. Listen to me. This is a two-way street for Christians. This is how this works when you're a Christian. But you know what part of the problem is with all of this? Part of the problem is that we've been told... I blame Billy Graham and the song, Just As I Am, right? Because we know that song, right? And, some, and I've had people ask me this. They're like, when I say, no, 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 you're not done. Paul wasn't done. Neither are you. You strive. You press. You run for the goal. And you say, but Matt, remember when I wasn't a Christian? And you said, God wants me just as I am. God accepts me just as I am. So were you lying to me? See, this is the crux of Sue's issue, is I would say to Sue, no, Sue, God wants you just the way you are. But then she would come to church and she would be told all about how she needed to start shaving things away and how that friction was going to make her grow. She said, what happened to just as I am? Well, listen to me, God accepts you just as you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you there. God wants you just like you are. Come to the cross. There is nothing that needs to get in your way. But God loves you way too much to leave you there. When I became a Christian, I became a Christian with all kinds of hate in my life, all kinds of lust in my heart. When I became a Christian, I became a Christian that, that talked bad about people, that thought I could pretend to be good enough and people would like me. For, I mean, when I became a Christian, I had so much baggage, 
so much sin in my heart. But you know what? Jesus didn't ask me to get rid of that before I became a Christian. You know what Jesus asked me to do was to let him help me grow once I became a Christian. See, this is the problem. Some of you, and, and I'm going I'm to go ahead and throw some of you under the bus. Some of you feel like you should be standing outside, right out there, outside. Are, are you worried? Don't be worried. <laughs> I, I wasn't even going to press a button. <laughs> she says, good. Um, <laughs> But some of you want to take this and you want to go stand outside in the parking lot and you want to give people a good once-over before they come in. <laughs> because you feel like they have to get fixed before they get to Jesus. And so you want to, start sh- you want to tell them who they should or shouldn't be with. You want to tell them who they should or shouldn't live with. You want to tell them what they should or shouldn't wear. What kinds of things they should do. You, you, want to get, you want to get them all shinied up so that they can come into the church, but that was never the point. See, this is why I always miss the heart of Sue's objection. Sue's objection simply was... There it is. Sue's objection simply was that we were telling her who to be before. We were telling her who to be before she even had a chance to be that person. Look at me. Read this. Galatians 5, 16 through 17 says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Listen, stop reading for a second. Answer this question in your head. Who has the Holy Spirit? Only Christians have the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christ follower here today, you have the Holy Spirit. If you are not a Christian here today, you do not have the Holy Spirit. So I'm standing out there with my grinder, with my blaster, and I'm trying to get everybody cleaned up enough to come to church. I'm trying to tell them how to live, but I can't get them to live that way because they don't have the capacity to live that way. They are not equipped to live that way. They're not equipped to live that way because they don't have the Holy Spirit. If you're here today and you're not a Christian... You are not going to be able to get yourself cleaned up to God's standard. And the reason you're not going to be able to get cleaned up to God's standard is because the flesh spirit within you is always going to be at war. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit working in you, you're never going to get there. You can fake it for a while. You could put your best foot forward for a while. You can use all your willpower for a while but ultimately it's going to fall short. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Any of you here that are Christians ever had the experience where what you want, like deep down in your gut, what you want to do is something that you know you can't do? Like like every ounce of your being wants to engage in this sin. Everything that's in you craves this. That's not unique to you. That's what Paul says. He says, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. See, there's part of you that will always crave to do sin. There's part of you that will always crave to engage in sin. And it is only in the power of the Holy Spirit that you can withstand that. That's it. Your best efforts won't work because your best efforts are rooted in sin. That's... So we need to reframe Sue's question. 
A better response would be to the church just wants to judge me, control me, tell me how to live, tell me what to do. Why should I let them? A better answer is this. No, as a non-Christian, the church doesn't want to change you. We don't want to control you. As a non-Christian, the only thing I have, the only agenda item I have in my relationship for you, the only thing I'm trying to do as a non-Christian, as somebody that doesn't know Jesus, the only thing I want to do is introduce you to Jesus. That's all I want to do. And you know what? There should be some comfort there. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, if you're here this morning and you are not a Christian, if you're here this morning and you're thinking, I want to be a Christian, maybe, maybe this is interesting to me, I'm not sure what I have to do, but I got all this garbage in my life that I know people are going to get mad about when I become a Christian, so I got to get it all cleaned up. Or I Listen to me. Listen, take some comfort in knowing that you can't. You can't clean yourself up enough so that you can get to church and then it'll be okay. No, 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 because you need to come to Jesus first and then it's the power of God, the Holy Spirit that works in you that helps you change. And if you're here and you're ministering to non-Christians, if you've got friends, family, neighbors, coworkers, whatever that you're trying to, listen to me, stop talking to them about their behavior. You can't change their behavior. They can't necessarily change their behavior, not long-term. Because the flesh will always crave sin. But you know who can is Jesus. Stop talking to them about their behavior and start talking to them about Jesus. Simple. It's got to be Jesus. Look, and so as as a non-Christian, the church doesn't want to change you. The church wants to show you Jesus. And as a Christian, The church doesn't want to control you, but they want to grow you to be more like Jesus. These are the simple answers to the question that if I was as smart as I thought I was, I would have been able to answer a little bit better. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. Prepare to close us. But but here's, here's what I want you to know. That if you're here this morning and you felt like the church, you're, why do I want to go to church? The church just wants to tell me how to live. Yeah. I get that. And the church wants to tell you how to live, not because I get some joy out of controlling your life, right? Not like somehow I am personally fulfilled when you do this or don't do that or when you submit to this or don't submit to that. That doesn't, listen, that does nothing for me. The only thing that does something for me as your pastor is that you grow to be more like Jesus. Matt, how do I know if I'm growing to be more like Jesus? Last slide. There are warring desires. This is where the friction comes in. This is where the iron sharpens iron. This is where, as a Christian, I'm not about controlling you, but I am about showing you. The church is about showing you. Small groups are about showing you. Accountability groups. By the way, I'm going to tell you that that I want you to start thinking about accountability groups because we're going to have a challenge for you in the next series to engage in a short-term five or six week accountability group with two or three other people that will help you. And we'll talk more about that when the time comes, but start thinking about accountability groups. And accountability groups are all about growing up in the spirit, which means I leave the desires of the flesh behind, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy. Look, the list goes on and on. And you may not have, you may not have an issue with everything on that list. But we all have issues with some things on that list because we all have this flesh desire within us.
But as Christians, we also have the Holy Spirit, which means that we can grow in the Spirit. And that doesn't look like lust or anger or sin. You know what it looks like? It looks like joy and peace and patience and love and gentleness and kindness and the like. The church is not in the business of judging and controlling you. The church is in the business of confronting your sin and challenging you and sharpening you to be more like Jesus. If that makes you uncomfortable, good. Because growth requires friction. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We thank you that you love us so much that you will take us just as we are, that there is nothing that we could ever have in our lives, no garbage, no baggage, no sin, no shame. There's nothing that will ever keep us away from the cross. God, we thank you for that. We thank you for the fact that we are always welcome at the cross, that you will take us just as we are, that you love to take us just as we are. But Father God, we also thank you that you love us so much that you refuse to let us stay there. That you want to grow us up. Father, I pray, wherever we are this morning, if there's, if there's those of us that are struggling, if there's those of us that are, that are struggling to surrender to you for the first time ever, that we would stop worrying about the garbage in our lives and we would just come and have Jesus. And I pray, Father, that if there's some of us there that have, have taken Jesus and we've accepted Jesus and we've submitted to Jesus, but yet we, we cringe at the friction, Father, I pray we'll submit to that today and that we'll start to grow and that we'll get accountability and that we'll, that we'll put ourselves out there to grow. God, we love you and we praise you and we just ask you to continue to speak truth to our hearts. Amen.